Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is? And hump day! Good morning, everyone. Happy hump day. Great to have you with us on a Wednesday on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Matthew Rocchio is also here. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? Randy, you almost said Wednesday, and it actually Wednesday. is Wednesday because the Cardinals won last night. They beat the Brewers 6-2. to two. Yeah, everything went Almost everything went well almost, for the Cardinals. Almost. And you got to be happy now that they have tied the Brewers atop the standings again. And Wayno will pitch tonight for the Redbirds. And Michelle, a couple of things. Number one, Adam Wainwright, our Wednesdays with Wayno segment, because he's pitching today. We recorded him yesterday. It might be the most compelling interview we've ever done with Adam Wainwright. Which is saying a lot. Yeah, because almost every week it feels like the most compelling interview we've ever done with Adam Wainwright. But just a deep tease for this, and you don't want to miss it at 9.30. When we taped this yesterday, we took our headphones off and I said... That might be the most inspirational story I've ever heard. Adam Wainwright tells us a story about a crossroads he faced in his career. And first of all, Adam Wainwright is an amazing storyteller. So you you know it's going to be a great story. But I had never heard this from him, especially not in this great of detail. And I feel like I know so much more Mm -hmm. about Adam Wainwright, the person, and Adam Wainwright, the pitcher, now that I've heard this story. So Wednesdays with Wayno brought to you by our friends at Chick-fil-A coming up at 9.15. By the way, today, even this morning, if you go in to get those delicious breakfast sandwiches at Chick-fil-A, pick up a Sunjoy as well, and uh, a portion of the proceeds will go to Big League Impact. In honor of Adam Wainwright, and in honor of the win, he's about to get the Cardinals today. We're also going to talk to Brian Jordan, the former Cardinal and former Brave, later in the show. He's in town today. Uh, He and uh, our our mutual friend Dan Weinstor are going to be playing in the Demetrius Johnson Charitable Foundation Tournament. Claves will be there. I will be there. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz will be there. Dennis Gates is going to be there. So uh, that'll be fun, and it'll be. It's always good to catch up to BJ. And we're going to give away some Cardinal tickets later in the show as well. We've got tickets for the Bud Bash coming up next Tuesday against the Marlins. So a lot of good reasons to be tuned to Carriker and Smallman today. And perhaps the most important, Randy, is that it's Hump Day and it's Ask Uncle Randy Day. Ask Uncle Randy coming up in. 12 minutes. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Last night at American Family Field. You mean Miller Park. Miller Park. Yeah. (laughs) The Cardinals came away with a 6-2 victory over the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Redbirds got behind early, and uh, actually they took the lead early. Milwaukee came back, tied it at two in the first inning, and then in the fourth, in that 2-2 game, the rookie Nolan Gorman stepped in. And the 1-1 pitch... In the air out to deep center field, Nolan Gorman, a long home run to center, his fifth of the season. And boy, when he hits him, 
He hits him. Wow. That is big-time power to center off the bat of the rookie. He does hit the ball really hard. We had talked about his power and how the Cardinals could have used his power in the lineup. And, man, he smacked that ball off the back wall. He is really fun to watch, Randy. He's fantastic. So, Chichi Gonzalez gets knocked out after four. Suter comes on, throws an inning in a third. And in the seventh, Nolan Gorman, not done yet. And Gorman hits another. His second. And the first time he's had a multi-home run game in the big leagues. Nolan Gorman with a rocket into right into the St. Louis bullpen. Have a night. The rookie is now driven in three. He drove in another and finished four for four on the night with four runs batted in. A couple of runs scored. His batting average up to 280. His OPS up to 866 as the Cardinals roll by a score of 6-2. to two. Michelle, not a great night for the Cardinals starting pitcher, Jack Flaherty. He only allowed two runs on three hits in his three innings, but he walked five and struck out one. Is this one of those things where you told us the good news before you told us the bad news? Yeah. <laughs> because you really just went from Nolan Gorman, look at him going four for four. He's the, <laughs> the first rookie and the youngest player in Cardinals history with four hits and two home runs in a single game. That was great. But also Jack Flaherty's second start didn't go exactly how we wanted. We were talking before we went on the air, Randy, and it was uncomfortable for me to watch at times. The body language was not great from Jack Flaherty. He he clearly was laboring, grinding, grinding through that start. I thought he did get better as the game went on. But Randy, I have to admit, I'm a little concerned. I am too. And I would imagine that, first of all, Wayno spoke to him either after the game last night or will speak to him today about what you discussed with the body language. Because even when things were going okay, it looked like he was just out of sorts. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, Michelle, in the third inning last night, and he he wound up having a, a decent third inning. But... He was throwing a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. He topped out last night. He didn't get a fastball to 95. He he was, and I say this not in a a mean-spirited way, he was trying to get by with Brad Thompson stuff. His sinker was at 90. His slider was, Brad would have loved to have had a 90-mile-an-hour or an 80-mile-an-hour slider, 80-mile-an-hour slider, 90-mile-an-hour fastball. In the third inning, my point being, he... (laughs) Flaherty was throwing 90-91. And I went back and looked at his last start of 2019 when he was so dominant down the stretch. He was throwing 96-97 throughout that game. And the slider was at 87. Last night, it's at 90 and 80. That's a big difference. 90 miles an hour in the majors, 90 mile an hour fastball is a fastball that the other team tees off on. Yeah, Brad Thompson's stuff situationally is good, but not when you're supposed to be somebody who's the Cardinals ace. And I I want to make this point because I don't think it's Jack's fault. He might be hurt. Number one, when you have a shoulder injury, you lose velocity. And he's got that that slap tear. The L in slap tear stands for labrum. Mm -hmm. So that's one issue. And the other issue is... Last year, he was rolling. He was 8-1 and one when he got hurt on Memorial Day. was never really healthy when he came back. And now he comes back after a month. So he's basically been out for a year. And you give him a month, not even a full spring training, to try to rebuild that arm strength. And I don't think that with uh, an asset like Jack Flaherty that that's a very responsible move. 
But part of the reason he's here is because he advocated for himself mm-hmm. so fiercely and said, this is the best I felt in three years. I am healthy. I am ready to go. Ali and the, the Cardinals had those conversations with him. So, yes, it's up to them to be the parent in the room and to say, we don't think you're ready. We're going to have you take a couple more starts in the minors just to really make sure that the health is there because you are so valuable to us moving forward. But also, if he isn't feeling 100%, he 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 knows yeah. his body better than anybody, right? He knows how he's feeling inside, regardless of what is showing up on any sort of tests or any sort of metrics when, when he's pitching. So if he's advocating for himself in that way and he says, I'm a competitor, I'm ready to go, at some point you have to believe him and right. trust him and, and let card, him go. Well, trust me once. So, yeah, I, I I trusted him this time if I'm the Cardinals. But now, if I'm getting this sort of production, if I'm if I'm getting Jordan Hicks sort of production out of him, three innings and allowing a couple of runs and walking five guys, I can't get by with that. So he better be, get quick, get better in a hurry. So the, after the first start, the command wasn't there. And I think generally most people said, we just want him to, to walk away healthy, rip mm-hmm. that bandaid off. He talked afterwards about how he was very juiced up. It was his first time back. And there's a lot of emotions that go into something like that. But I wonder how much of that carried over to last night, Randy, because when he was shaking his head and you could just tell that he was trying to get out of his head at moments in the game last night, I wonder how much of what we saw last night was physical and how much of it was mental. Well, and when you're used to throwing 97 at your best and you're, it's only going 90, that's got to be alarming to him too, right? Yeah, it's hard to adjust when you're used to your body doing one thing and physically you, you can't match it just yet. Here is Jack on his three-inning performance. I mean, it was just one of those. It was like you got to, we got to figure it out somehow. You know, we got in those situations with runners on, and uh, you know, figured out what we had to do to, to get out of it and try to just make pitches. You know, pitch after pitch after pitch, just one after the other. Um, just trying to keep keep it right there because we were in spots that it could have gone. I mean, it, it, it was it was bad as it was, but it could have gone really, gotten really, really bad. And whether or not it's a coach or a player or somebody in the system or one of Jack Flaherty's high school buddies. Maybe it's uh, Max Freed. Maybe it's Lucas Giolito. But if there is something in his mechanics that needs to be fixed, then that person needs to be found that can fix those mechanics. And we look at Matt Carpenter right now, right? Cardinals couldn't find a way to fix his mechanics. If, if it's an issue with Jack Flaherty's mechanics, you better find somebody that can fix it stat. Yeah, and in a hurry, (laughs) in a hurry, because he's very important to the success of the Cardinals, especially in the second half and down the stretch. But to what he said, Randy, we're talking about a Cardinal victory and we're talking about Mm -hmm. Nolan Gorman and his great performance. It could have gotten really bad last night for Jack Flaherty in a hurry. He, He did get out of some spots and the offense was there to pick him up and give him some run support. But I was very concerned that we would be talking about an absolute shellacking of Jack Flaherty at times when I was watching the game last night. The bullpen was great. Zach Thompson, an inning and two-thirds scoreless. Verhagen, uh, hey, he pitches like that, I'm going to know his name. Uh, Verhagen (laughs) goes a a third of an inning and and gets out of it. Gallegos, two innings, and Gio threw 22 pitches. He may be available tonight in relief of Wayno And Helsley threw 31 pitches to close things out. My guess is that Ryan Helsley will not be available for today's game. 
And so the Cardinals tied atop the division once again. Also, yesterday, as we told you before the show ended, uh, Brooks Kepka went to the Live League. And last night, NHL, Austin Matthews won the NHL's MVP award. We will have Stanley Cup Game 4 tonight here on 101 ESPN with the pregame at 6.30. And Lightning poised to tie things at a game uh, uh, at two games apiece. Let's go Pat Maroon. Yeah. Big number 14. The big rig. The big rig. Let's you think he gets another, another goal tonight? I don't think there's any question about it. By the way, the Avalanche can't figure out who's going to start in goal for them. That's a problem in the Stanley Cup Finals. FanDuel Sportsbook, <laughs> promo code SMALLS. Yeah, there you go. The Chris Vonderau statue gets to stand for one more day. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, that is Matthew. That is Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, it is Wednesday, and that means it's Ask Uncle Randy Day. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Whatever question you have for me, I'll, I'll answer it as honestly and maybe succinctly as I can. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well, filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 65780. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. be honest with you wisdom comes from getting old and i'm old part of the deal you get old at some point but we do appreciate your questions we do appreciate your desire to have me share some of my wisdom with you and michelle has your questions for me take it away michelle i don't know about you Barry, but i like getting older i do too yeah i feel fine i feel good i feel you feel, you feel more comfortable in who you are right you don't care as much about what other people think it's kind of great yeah and you can be young at heart for sure so i i've told you this story before and it, it was more pronounced when i was doing the the fast lane but i i would sleep in i i, I was literally like a fifth grader during the summer so i, I would wake up whenever i would go out and play i would either ride my bike or play golf or something and then i would have to come in for lunch and then I would come in with the guys and goof around inside for a while. <laughs> and then after that, I would go home and have dinner. And then I would go out and play some more until it was dark. And I, there were days, like I know today is Wednesday, it's hump day. There were weekdays where I didn't know what day it was because I was just like a little kid. Not a bad way to live, no, Randy. No, it's not. Here's the first question for you from the 217. Dear Uncle Randy, I'm a millennial and I'm coming up on my first wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations. Yeah. Way to go. Tradition says to get paper. What does that even mean? What is a paper gift? Okay, I didn't, and I've never have played that game. Uh, paper could be money, could be cash money, could be a card. Cards are made of paper. I would go a little bit more substantial than paper, however. Yeah, go cash. What? I would love that. Just give go Italian style. Give me a bag of cash. Yeah, but <laughs> here's the thing. It, while paper is the old traditional, yes, you can give her cards and maybe even find a card that says, hey, it's our paper anniversary. I have no idea what the paper anniversary means, but I know it sounds cheap. So I'm for the first anniversary going to go a little bit more extravagant, whether it is an, an exceptionally nice dinner or maybe where we had dinner for our first date or maybe I I prepare a dinner for her and it, it's it, the two big things are well, actually there's three there's Christmas there's a uh, birthday there's anniversary this is a big deal it's a big deal and 
for the first anniversary, you want to get her something memorable, something beyond the flowers that are going to die and the, the candy that she's going to hopefully eat. So my suggestion would be do something that is memorable. Does wallpaper count? Yes, it would. Maybe if is there's wallpaper back in. Oh yeah, wallpaper's in. That's what I, oh, I yeah, read wallpaper that wallpaper is all the way in. Now maybe if there's a room in your house or something that she's wanting to redo, you could get her a gift card to pick out some wallpaper or That's something like that. Play. I was just thinking of other things that could constitute paper. A, a really beautiful journal to write down all the things that she loves about your marriage. Yeah, nobody does that. <laughs> no, journaling is all the way back too. I do the five-minute journal every day. Really? Oh, my gosh. It absolutely helps with my mental health. Every morning you wake up and you write three things that you hope happen in the day and three things that you're grateful for. And then at night you write down and a mantra for mm-hmm. the day. Um, like, I forget what mine today was, but it was something like, like I am strong, I'm confident or whatever. Good. And then at the end of the day, you write three amazing things that happened to you that day and three things that you're grateful for That's at the end of the day. so cool. Yeah, it's called the five-minute journal. You can get it on Amazon, and it's amazing. So if, if I had the time, I would think it was super cool. You definitely have but the time. But you see every single time I pick up a pen or a pencil. You see it, Michelle. See... You're not a coffee person because while my coffee is brewing, mm-hmm. that's when I do okay. it. I keep it right there in my kitchen, just write it down, Smart. and I feel like I start the day on a positive note. That's great. And then do you revisit it? Yeah. Well, okay. at the end of the day, you go back and you look at what you wrote, so, and then you, and, and you know it's great, <clears throat> Randy. Even if you have a bad day, at the end of the mm-hmm. night when you go to lay your head on the pillow and you have to write three good things mm-hmm. that happened to your day, you can always come oh, up with three good things. Even if it's just, I'm alive. My family's mm-hmm. okay. I'm I'm laying in a in a bed in a house. I'm all right. You know what I mean? It just is a good perspective shifter. So if your bride of a year is one that would be inclined to do the journal thing, then I'm all on board with Michelle's idea for a paper. Michelle is putting carpet over hardwood back. No. Thank God. No, carpet should be. Should be because if you had carpet, you don't fall down the steps. No, a runner is important (laughs) and in. Totally. Gosh. Put that on a T4. You didn't even realize it. From the 636, dear Uncle Randy, I've been thinking about college football. It's right around the corner. How many wins is a good season for Eli Drinkwitz in Mizzou? I would say a good season would be a nine win season. My expectation would be in that eight and four range. I don't know what Florida is going to be. I know that Mizzou's not going to beat Georgia. You're probably as much turmoil as they've experienced at. Uh, at Auburn, it's going to be hard to go to Auburn and win a game there. So what it's going to come down to is you've got to win some of the games against teams that are, you should be even with you right now. Tennessee, there's no way you allow 62 to Tennessee like you did last year, but you have to go to Tennessee. But that's a game that Mizzou should be able to win. And I know that they had an unbelievable recruiting class and they should be really good. But I... I look at that as a game that Mizzou should win. I I always think that Kentucky and Mizzou are pretty much on the same plane. So I think that that should be a game that Missouri, if you have a good season, that should be one that they have a chance to win. I'll just run through it. Louisiana Tech, one win. Kansas State, two wins. Abilene Christian, three wins. I'm going to go Auburn a loss, Georgia a loss, Florida a loss. So I'm still at three. Vandy, a win. South Carolina, a win. So I'm up to five. I'm going to go with Kentucky at home and get to six. I'm going to say they lose at Tennessee. Then I'm going to say a win against New Mexico State at home. And then a win against Arkansas at home. So I've got them winning at eight. And I think that would be a good season for them. I I agree. Okay, from the 314. 
This is our excuse me, the 618. Dear Uncle Randy, should I be concerned about the ingredients inside a hot dog when I'm enjoying one at Bush Stadium? Never. Never. Because <laughs> look at it this way. I'm going to do a quick Google search here, okay? Oh, no, no, no. Don't tell us no, what's in it. No, I'm not going to do the jungle thing. Michelle no. mentioned getting the better things about getting older. Realizing that ignorance truly is bliss is doesn't one of the best parts about getting older. Doesn't that defeat the, the point of eating a hot dog if you're not going to just enjoy it outside at a baseball game, hopefully washing it yeah, down you, with a Bud Light? I mean, you don't worry about what's in it. You just go for it. Okay. At sporting events every year, sporting events, local picnics, carnivals, the American Council Hot uh, Hot Dog Council estimates that Americans consume 20 billion hot dogs a year. 20, 20 billion. billion. A hot dog never hurt anybody. Well, so go well, ahead and chow well. down. Don't worry about what's in it. It's delicious. It's fun. It's a piece of sausage. It's easy to eat. It's hand food. And you know what? You're just one of... You're consuming one of 20 billion hot dogs. No, you don't worry about it. I can't believe they made us read that book, The Jungle, in school. It was, in fact, okay. I don't know if I did read it, no, Michelle. But do you remember that report that got everyone all up in arms about a year ago, Randy? And it, I just Googled it, and it said a recent study suggests eating just one hot dog could take 36 minutes off your life. 36 minutes. So now, is that a deal you want to make? Um, I love a hot dog, but 36 minutes? My guess is that in my life that I've I've probably eaten a thousand hot dogs or more. So that's a lot of minutes. But you know what? If it does take 360 or 3,600 minutes off of your life, how do you know? But when you put it in those terms, though, 36 minutes is not an insignificant amount of time. And that adds up. Okay, you're, taking, so, you're taking days off your life for a hot dog? Do you really want to be there at 97 years old totally. not having eaten a hot dog? <laughs> Randy, you've been, you haven't even taken a month off your life. You've only taken 25 days. That's nothing. Nothing. That's nothing. I'm here for a good time, not a long so, time. To the texture, never worry about or concern yourself with eating a hot dog because they're delicious. You know what? Maybe just get a bratwurst so you don't even have to think about it. Can you, what's it. What must it be like in Chicago with the Chicago hot dogs? I mean, that's like a staple in Chicago. I wonder if the life expectancy is shorter in Chicago because they consume so many Chicago dogs. Well, that they, they have to deal with the Cubs. That's... Well, you would think then they would want to live Big longer coming. so they would have a better chance of seeing them <laughs> win because they know it's going to probably take them to the end. Take 100 years, yeah. Do you think they're cursed again? Because they're bad. They are bad. They might be. That that could happen, yeah. I mean, when you're talking about the Bible. And biblical? Yeah, he, he said they had suffered biblical losses. You know, the big guy upstairs, he cares about stuff like that. And so he might say, you know what? They really weren't biblical losses. Yeah. <laughs> no wins for you. That's the toughest curse, bad ownership. Mm-hmm. From the 314, dear Uncle Randy, I get married in nine days. All Congratulations. Right. That is what, a week from Saturday? Congratulations to you and your bride. We've been dating for six years and living together for two. What in my life is really going to change? Nothing. Six years dating. You know each other very well. Uh, Two years living together. Uh, Maybe you put the... uh, My wife didn't even change her name when we got married. But maybe you, you 
change her name changes and the house title changes. I don't know, but no, nothing, <laughs> nothing dramatic is going to change. Except you're going to have a honeymoon, and that'll be fun. So I've been told that if you live together, that's like being married. And that yeah, part yeah. of the reason back in the day that people didn't live together before marriage is because then once you did get married, it felt like a big shift in your life. Like it was a big deal when mm-hmm. you guys got Stressful. married because you were living together. But imagine not living with someone before you get married and then you cohabitate and you're like, this person is a slob. I can't yeah. stand them. That would be difficult to deal with, wouldn't it? You have to, you don't have to, but I think it does benefit both parties to know each other as well as they possibly can. And when you date for six years, so these two knew a lot about each other before they even started living together. So, no, you've done it the right way and your life isn't going to change much except that you are now beholden to her or him forever. And that's great. That's a good thing. Last one, Randy, from the 217. Dear Uncle Randy, next weekend, July 2nd, it's my 23rd birthday. Mm. Is it acceptable to want to spend it by golfing with the boys and then day drinking at the pool? What could be better? There's, Of course, that is not only acceptable. You're 23. That's encouraged. That's awesome. Also, it's your birthday. Yeah, it's, you can do whatever you want. That's the beauty of a birthday. I'm telling you, my man, that is what it's all about. I... I envy you. You're, that's awesome. So it, it's more than <laughs> Randy's acceptable. Randy's like, yo, can I get an invite or what? That's what I'm, what I'm angling for here, Michelle. Uh, Randy loves to golf, 217. <laughs> so that is, uh, that is great, and I'm proud of you. And yes, it's more than acceptable. That it, It's incredible. So enjoy these days while you have them, because your age is as good as it gets, and enjoy life, because at some point it's going to end. And these are great years to enjoy life. And if that's what you love doing the most, then go out and do it. If you have a July birthday and you're 23, (laughs) what else are you doing on your birthday if not drinking by a body of water on a boat at a pool? It's hotter than Hades outside. What else are you going to do? That sounds like the perfect birthday celebration. Proud of you. It's great. Have one for Uncle Randy and Aunt Michelle. Yeah. Go for it. So, and when's it? July 2nd? July 2nd, 23rd birthday. Yeah, proud of you. And think about that. That's your birthday, and it's always on a long holiday weekend. Saturday, the 4th of July. By the way, do us a favor because we want you to be listening after the 4th of July weekend. If you're drunk, take an Uber or have a designated driver. Yes, very important. Don't drink and drive. With the access that we have to Ubers and Lyfts and, and cabs, Everybody be safe. You yeah. have you have every resource out there to do so. Yep. I really do appreciate everybody wanting a little bit of advice. It's great. I just want you to know that we've gotten a lot of texts about Betty White. RIP. Rest in peace, Betty. Poor had one. a great run, though. Poor one out to the legend. <laughs> I, I showed you before. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. So somebody sent me a meme of Michael Jones making the tackle. Oh, my And Jones. in the end zone, it said 100 years <laughs> for Kevin Ooh. Dyson. It said Betty White. <laughs> And he's got the ball down at the half yard line. God did tackle her out there. God did give her the Mike Jones. I mean, she was real close. But a lot of people are texting in saying that Betty White credited her long life to hot dogs and vodka. Thank you. See, yep. And she made it almost a hundred years. That's great. And was thriving till the end. She was awesome. Yeah, she she was sharp as a tack until the very end. Hot dogs and vodka. What a combo for Betty White. Yeah, good for her. I got to tell you, my Nana's in her 80s. She's kicking. She smokes a pack a day, loves a Chardonnay on ice, eats cake out of the freezer every day. I mean, hey, you know what? It's Life is 
and not in her case, but you got to enjoy life, right? I, I like I just can't imagine. I guess some people like being vegan. I can't imagine enjoying Listen, eating a vegan diet. You're a vegan because you're a good person, because you don't want to eat animals. You're conscious of mm. what the meat industry does to the environment. You're not a vegan because it tastes good and you enjoy it. It's not your palate's preference to be a vegan. It's because you have more discipline and you're better than the rest of us. Uncle Randy is never going to be that good of a person. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Coming up next, NFL News and Notes on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Even though it's June, there's a lot going on in the NFL, and it's time for some NFL news and notes. Michelle? A big retirement in the NFL yesterday. Randy, Rob Gronkowski, Tampa Bay Bucks tight end. He's calling it a career again for the second time. He's 33 years old. He announced it, of course, via social media, Mm -hmm. because that's where we announce everything these days. Here's what he said. Let me pull up the post here. Well, it's long, so I'll just give you a little excerpt here. He says, I want to thank the whole entire first-class Buccaneers organization for an amazing ride, trusting me to come back and play and help build a championship team. I will now be going back into my retirement home, walking away (laughs) from football again with my head held high, knowing it, I gave everything I had good or bad every time I stepped on the field. I believe and as much as I dislike the Patriots I think Rob Gronkowski is the best tight end to ever play. There were there have been some great ones but in terms of combining the ability to block very effectively and catch the ball downfield I think he's number one. Uh, you've, you've got some great old school guys like John Mackey and Mike Ditka and our own Jackie Smith. You had guys that didn't block as much like Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates. But I think overall, in terms of the, just a well-rounded game, Gronk is the best ever. I also thought about this, Michelle, from the perspective of a Patriots fan. Because in his social media posts, the Patriots and New England are not mentioned at all. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how they feel about this. Because Brady did the same thing. Well, there was speculation maybe that he didn't mention the Patriots because he would sign a a one-day contract Mm -hmm. to retire as a Patriot. But I don't know because his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, came out yesterday and said that Gronk could still come out of retirement, quote, if Tom Brady calls him during the season. Now, Tom Brady then, quote, tweeted that, Randy, with a (laughs) meme of the man on the phone. So maybe he didn't mention the Patriots because he wants to somehow put a bow on his career with the Patriots. And he maybe he's not 100% done. But at this point, if you're retiring not once but twice and then you're going to come back during the middle of the season, what are we doing here? It's like it's like the boys that cried retirement. It's Brett Favre all over again. It's Just Tom Brady. From the, yeah, from the, from the tight end position. Yeah, at some point. And maybe he has come to grips with the end of his career. Man, he's had a lot of injuries. Oh, yeah. He's taken a lot of hits. And if he does decide now to call it quits, then he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Let's see. You'll have 
the 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. So he'll go into the Hall of Fame in 27. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. No doubt. Here's Marcus Spears, ESPN's NFL analyst, talking about Gronk's retirement. Do you know what these guys do for a locker room mm. when it gets monotonous in training camp, when it gets monotonous throughout the season? And I know everybody believes that every NFL player is excited and just over the moon to play every Sunday. Well, y'all know I keep it honest. Let's tell the truth. No, we not. Bodies <laughs> hurt, mindset, you're tired, you probably suffered the last loss. You got to get yourself ready to go. And there are always guys in the locker room that can lighten the load with their personalities. They can lighten the load with joking and how they get about doing things. I've always thought that that was an important component to really good football teams. And that's something else that I've heard and known about Grunk since he played in the league. How much other guys gravitated to the personality and allowed themselves to kind of have a good time playing the game. And think about how important that is to have a Gronk to be the counter to someone who's as intense as Tom Brady or Mm -hmm. who is as demanding as Bill Belichick. I don't think we think about that sometimes, about how valuable Gronk's personality was probably to the success of the Patriots because he probably kept it light when it was not light a lot of times. Yeah, this is a guy that... When the Patriots were visiting the White House, he snuck into a press briefing (laughs) (laughs) just so that the media could see him and he could see what was going on. And to add to that, Michelle, I would think with a first-year head coach and Todd Bowles, he'd want somebody to lighten the mood if he can have him on his team. But I have to believe that the Patriots made an offer and maybe Gronk will come back at midseason. I know that players don't need training camp anymore, that it's not as important. But it's also difficult if you come back eight games into the season when everybody else is up to full speed and literally in mid-season form, it's hard to get that mojo going quickly. I also don't know how if you're Gronk and you've been a champion many times and you're at this point in your career where you know you're a surefire Hall of Famer and physically you you've endured what you've endured throughout your entire career how you have the motivation to still get yourself ready and go out there and compete and and take all those hits week after week at some point you're like uncle enough is enough I, I have nothing else left to prove and these guys have to work to get to 260 pounds he's a 220 pound guy so I wonder what he looks like right now and how difficult it would be to get back into that football size where you could block a 260 pound outside linebacker Probably not easy, Randy, but he's done it so many times. Who knows? Maybe midseason Tom Brady shoots him a text and we see Gronk back out on the field. Uh, Some movement on the Deshaun Watson front yesterday. It was announced by Tony Busby, who is the lawyer for most of the women who are suing Deshaun Watson, announced that he has settled all but four of the 25 lawsuits that were filed against him. Now, it's at 24 right now because the 25 initial number one of the women had dropped the lawsuit. So all but four of the lawsuits against Deshaun Watson have been settled. And the league says these settlements will not affect their investigation He's still subject to the NFL's personal conduct policy. And my guess is, Michelle, that regardless, he could settle the last four. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that. But my guess would be that he is going to get suspended. The rumors over the weekend were for a year. And I would be surprised if it wasn't. I wonder what the NFL is waiting for. If they're waiting for all of these lawsuits to be cleared up before they go ahead and determine what they'd like to do. Because, I, I don't know, if I'm the NFL, I would want to go ahead and get out in front of this because these lawsuits could persist and the season is right around the corner. I would want to go ahead and make my judgment if I'm the NFL now. The NFL is so bad at investigating though. When you go back to Ray (laughs) Rice, when you go back to Kareem Hunt 
and people wind up with videos or more information after the situation is complete. Heck, the Rams move. Uh, they, they would have been well served to actually vet that entire situation before they believed everything Stan Kroenke said. They aren't very good at being proactive and finding out about what needs to be found out. Even in the Deshaun Watson situation, the Browns said, mm-hmm. we did our due diligence. And then the New York Times comes out and says, actually, you didn't. Because here's all this other information that we've yeah. gotten, including speaking with the women. And it's counter it, it's indirectly in counter to what you and Deshaun Watson have said. So it probably works in the league's benefit. By the way, one other, though the Washington football team situation, too, probably works to the league's benefit to wait as long as they can. Probably. Well, Randy, Tyreek Hill, we know, has moved on from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins. And, of course, when you're an offensive weapon, you're going to be asked about the guy throwing you the ball. And so Tyreek recently was talking about Patrick Mahomes, his former quarterback, and his new quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa. And he had some shocking things to say. Tua or Patrick Mahomes, obviously, like I'm, I'm gonna go with one five as the, the strongest arm. But as far as accuracy wise, I'm going with Tua all day. I wanted to hit me right in the bread basket, just like I did in the Buffalo Bills game and take it seventy. Without the cheat on the field, he know that hey, Pat, you gonna have a long day today. You know what I'm saying? So Tyree Kill saying that Patrick Mahomes is more accurate, but that or excuse me, has a better arm, but Tua is more accurate. So Patrick Mahomes was asked about these comments, and he says, quote, I'm surprised a little just because I feel like we love Tyreek here. We've always loved him. We still love him. I saw him out in Miami. I sure it had something to do with him trying to get his podcasts and some content and get it rolling. That makes sense. I, I can absolutely see that. Where's the bed? Did we just lose it? <laughs> We're falling apart at the seams there. Yeah, I, I would say that that's probably a pretty good read on the part of Patrick Mahomes, because who had ever heard of Tyreek Hill's podcast before, right? Well, and he is probably trying to be cool with his new teammates yeah. and say something positive about his QB. Or, But does anyone believe him? Or maybe, maybe Tua is just more accurate. Has that ever struck anybody as a possibility? No, it has not, because I've I've watched the games. But you know what? No, we're He's in... being put in the position to succeed this year. Maybe we will see a completely different version of Tua. Right in the breadbasket, and you know what? I I, I love Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he's our our state guy, right? And he's a yeah. blues, huge blues so fan. I'm wearing a blue sweater. But you know what? He doesn't have going for him. OT pain. We're in the air, we're on the ground. We're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking super good with a Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins Accurate quarterback in the league. According to Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Who's never told the lie. I'm not messing around. I'm not messing around with Patrick Mahomes or Bear Rogers or Tom Brady. I got Tua. We do. What 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 did what 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 did I just play? Uh, the Miami Dolphins fight song. Yeah, come on. Which like when the Miami Dolphins score a touchdown, Michelle Smallman gets like multiple texts every Sunday afternoon. That's right. <laughs> I know. Well, sometimes it's not multiple texts. Sometimes, sometimes it's just one. Sometimes it's just one text from Randy. But you're right. They don't have the vocal prowess of T Pain. No. So uh, my guy Chris Muir over at Golf Discount is trying to sell me on a Dolphins golf bag. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Beautiful colors. Yeah. 
Now, here's Matthew the question. Matthew goes thumbs up. Is it the old Dolphins logo or the it's new the Dolphin? New. Mm, I don't love the new one. The Dolphin is too sleek for me. I need him to look more cartoonish like he did back in the Marino days. Yeah. It looks more like Snowflake back in those days. Snowflake was great. Snowflake was great. Thank goodness Ace Ventura was able to save him. Yeah. Whew. From Ray Finkel. Bad. Could have been Finkel is Einhorn. Did you know that? Einhorn is Finkel. Yeah. Really? I had no idea. Lace is out, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> those are our NFL news and notes on 101 ESPN. Lace is out. <laughs> Coming up next, you've got Take It or Leave It, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Tioli, coming your way. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Michelle and Randy with you. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN and we invite your Text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. And Michelle, yesterday, Colin Morikawa showed up on social media and said, basically, to paraphrase, I'm not going to the Live Tour, despite persistent rumors that he is. Take it or leave it. Within the next month, Colin Morikawa announces that he's going to the Live Tour. I'm going to take it. Because didn't Brooks Kepka just over Same the weekend thing. say, I don't want to talk about it. You're taking away from the U.S. Open. I haven't given much thought to it. And then come Monday slash Tuesday, the news breaks. So I'm going to take that as well. Yeah, Where I, there's smoke, there's fire. And that would be the, the biggest one. By the way, uh, Jay Delsing uh, tweeted this statement from Brooks Kepka uh, just within the last uh, month or so. Kepka said, quote, money doesn't matter. It's not something that's important. I just want to be happy. Money's not going to make me happy. I just want to play against the best. It's a quote from Brooks Kepka. Hmm. Doesn't seem to be a truthful statement. No, maybe he knows more how it's going. Maybe. Okay, Randy. So Bart Scott recently said on ESPN Radio when asked about uh, being a defensive player in the NFL, which quarterback he would rather go against, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Here's what he said. Quote, I'd much rather go against Tom Brady every day of the week than go against Peyton Manning. I believe that's how everybody feels. Tom Brady was more about Bill Belichick, the entire team, the execution than them having a game plan. Take it or leave it. You agree with them. I will take that. And taking nothing away from Brady. But I believe if Peyton Manning is with the Patriots and allowed the the breadth of abilities that he was with his other coaches, and they had the defense that New England had and the special teams that New England had, I think Peyton probably wins a couple more Super Bowls than Brady does. I wonder how Peyton Manning and Bill Belichick would have coexisted because even though they both respect one another and their football acumen and their football IQs, Tom Brady was a great soldier mm-hmm. and just kind of put his head down and did what Bill Belichick asked. Whereas Peyton Manning, I could see him having more of a voice and wanting more authority and not necessarily being as just willing to 
do his job and that's it. He was he was the star, whereas Brady right. and Belichick were kind of on the same tier. By Manning's fifth year, he was the offensive coordinator in Indy. That was not going to happen in New England with Belichick. Exactly. So I wonder if they would have been able to coexist and have the same amount of success. Would have been very difficult. And that's why I said that the, the, the coaching staff in New England would have allow, had to allow Manning to express his abilities because his best ability, aside from availability, was his brain. Very cerebral. Yep. Uh, Matthew, what do we got? Take it or leave it. Cardinals must prioritize starting pitching rather than bullpen help for the trade deadline. Take it. Would you have said that before last night? No, but I. if you get a starting pitcher, then you can put Palante back in the pen. And Jordan Hicks is hopefully coming back. Right. I would l- love to get both. I think they need to get both a starter and a reliever. I would like because both. Because really good teams don't have relievers where you bring them into a game and you feel bad about it. Really, when you look at what the Cardinals had in 2011 after they rebuilt the bullpen, or in 2006 after all the kids started playing, it was Brad, it was Josh Kinney, it was uh, Josh Hancock, it was Wayno, it it was all uh, Tyler Johnson, all those kids in 2006, you felt good about all of them coming into a game. When you get to a postseason, you better feel good about everybody you bring into a game. By the way, 11, Lance Lent, too, gets added to that mix. Good point. Take it or leave it. The Blues should take their chances and wait for Matthew Kachuk to be a free agent and not trade for him if he's available. I'm going to leave that. I think the Blues would be best served by getting that done ASAP because they you don't want to get him on the open market because somebody might give him an offer of $11 million a year, and he might take it. Dallas. Somebody, the Blackhawks, the, the Red Wings. It will just depend on what, how good the team is that mm-hmm. offers him that money. Because he's a competitive guy. Even if it's money that is crazy compared to what the Blues are going to offer him, I think he'll want a chance to win mm-hmm. and be on a competitive team. I would think so, too. Now, the question is, if you make a deal, who do you trade? And the other part of it is... Next year, you're going to have cap issues. You've got people coming off the books after next season when he is a UFA, but you're going to have to clear some cap space because, as we've mentioned, Michelle, they've got a couple of guys to sign. They have $9 million in cap space right now, which is exactly what Matthew Kachuk makes. And they don't have enough players. If, if they spend that $9 million on him, then they don't have a backup goalie. They're missing a defenseman. They're missing a fourth line center in Bozak. You got to replace those guys too. This is not an easy puzzle to it's put together. Not easy at all. I don't envy Army on this one. Take it or leave it. Gorman will be second in home runs on the Cardinals at the end of the year. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave that too. Yeah, Goldie, Arenado. a little pairing of Goldie and Arenado that's on this team. Yeah, no doubt about it. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thank you very much for your texts. We do appreciate them. Next up. Jack Flaherty only goes three, and the peripheral numbers aren't so great either. So is that reason for concern? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. 
I'm looking for Jack to go at least six, maybe seven. I, I think he needs to make a statement that, you know, everybody thinks I'm an I'm a ace or a potential ace. I need to go out and prove it against a good team. And, and Milwaukee isn't that good offensively, but I think you have to make a statement that I'm here and I'm going to be a guy that you can look to to get seven, and then we'll figure out the rest. But I, I think now that the nerves are behind him, at least we think they are, then I look for him to come out and to start dealing like I think we expect him to. That's our friend Mike Claiborne yesterday here on Carriker and Smallman. It's 8.04. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Flaherty only gave us half of what Mike wanted. Three innings. He allowed two runs on three hits. He walked five. That's alarming. He struck out one. He allowed a home run. 71 pitches, 36 strikes, 35 balls. Mm, not what we were hoping No, for. I'm sorry. 36 balls, 35 strikes. I got it wrong. Bad math there. So 35 strikes, 36 balls for Flaherty, who, by the way, at the end of 2019, in his last start against the Cubs, was topping out at 96-97. Last night, in his final inning of work in the third, was throwing 90-mile-an-hour fastballs. I wonder where he's at physically. I wonder how he was feeling last night and how he is feeling this morning. But so much of what I was concerned about in watching Jack Flaherty, Randy, last night wasn't just the command. It wasn't just what we were seeing physically from him. It was the body language. It was what you could tell he was going through mentally, the way he kept shaking his head. You could tell that he was trying to get out of his own head. And before his first start back, he said that was the most juiced up he had been in a long time. And he really had to tell himself to calm down. So I wonder if last night wasn't a a confluence of things, mental and physical. But regardless of what it was, that can't happen. If you say that you're healthy and you're ready to go and this is your second start back and the third start, there's going to be limitations lifted off you and the Cardinals are thinking that you're healthy because that's what you said and that's what they observed and you're supposed to be a major part of this rotation. Regardless kind of of what the what the reasoning might be, that's not what you need if from the Cardinals. If if. I don't know. That's not what you need from Jack Flaherty if you're the Cardinals. Flaherty coming off of a shoulder strain was asked last night how he feels. Yeah, I mean, we're working through things mechanically and uh, you know, getting back to doing things that I do well and start doing those things better. And, Michelle, you mentioned that he looked frustrated at times last night, even when he was getting out. Mm-hmm. He, he would look to the sky or, you know, he would he would kick his, his foot so how does he deal with the frustration of not being able to do what he has been able to do in the past? Knowing how well things have felt up to this point, and even, you know, in the bullpen that we threw in between, like, you know, we, we made some corrections and things felt great, and then it just didn't translate over. It felt great in the pen, too. And then, uh, you know, we just got to you know, figure those things out of translating things from that into the game. And it's really just the little things that go on. So... He, what he's doing is he's going to the bullpen and feeling great. So maybe it is just a case of being too amped up and, to use a golf analogy, not letting the club do the work. But I, how long is it going to take, if that is the case, for him to work himself through that? And does he – you know what? He might feel right, but maybe this is a new right for him mm-hmm. coming That's off of true. multiple injuries. And maybe the new right won't allow him to do what he did in the past. We don't know.
But you would hope, though, that you've acclimated to the new right after you've been rehabbing and you've had starts in the minors. Mm -hmm. You should have a good feel for what the new right is and know how to deploy the new right effectively. And by the way, in the minors, he did throw 96. Last night, he didn't get to 95 with any of his four seamers. And like we mentioned in his last inning of work was throwing 90 and the, the slider was down at 80. And even in the first and second innings, there were people on base and he was having difficulty. How was he able to get out of those? Stink game trying to make pitches no matter what, what it comes with. Uh, I couldn't tell you what pitches were. I don't know. I don't remember it. I just was doing anything I could to put up two zeros as, you know, or keep the game right there. We gave it to two and then, you know, walk the next guy right after that. It, you know, it's kind of making us for a really bad, bad, you know, just everything and, you know, keep it at two for, you know, as poorly as I might have pitched, not as sick as I might have been. Um, you know, it was big, and then the guys, you know, kept it right there. The, the bullpen did a really good job, and, you know, offense put up six runs, and, you know, we do that. We won a lot of games. Michelle, I'm not averse to providing stupid opinions. I've done it a lot. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. When I hear him talk and when I watch him perform, I wonder why Chris Carpenter isn't in the Cardinal organization trying to help him out. Chris Carpenter has had to get, go through injuries. He's had to go through rehabs. He's had to deal with not having his best stuff and still getting guys out. If if there was anybody in this world that could help Jack Flaherty through these issues, guy that's been through it, it's Chris Carpenter. And whatever he was making with the Cardinals, $100,000 or whatever it was, just to protect the asset that is Jack Flaherty, you would have been smart to have Chris Carpenter around. Whether or not Jack Flaherty was even a factor, it doesn't determine the, my stance on Chris Carpenter. I think mm-hmm. that for ev- any pitcher that's in your system, he's an incredibly valuable re- resource. And for this specific instance, absolutely. And we know that they have a relationship and that Bob Gibson and Chris Carpenter had been mentors to Jack Flaherty in the past. And so I wonder if they are communicating and if Chris Carpenter has given him any advice. But I guess for me, that's the most surprising part of all of this, Randy. I didn't expect him to physically be 100%. I didn't expect to have him come in Mm. his first or second start and look like the Jack Flaherty in the second half of 2019. But this is someone who has so much confidence in himself and who is such a, I'm a Kobe guy, I'm a Mamba mentality guy, I'm a competitor. I didn't expect maybe the mental side of things to not be at 100%. If anything, I thought that the confidence would be there and after the games he'd be saying, It's just me working out some of these kinks, and it's going to be good. Don't you guys fret. But it seems like he's even a little bit more reserved post-game when he's talking. Do you ever remember, and that's a great point, do you ever remember things not going well for Kobe and him showing bad body language? Or was he ready to just come back down the court and say, I'm the best guy, and toss up another one? Even if he physically wasn't the best, he was going to tell you he was the best. Yeah, right. It's mind over matter always. Yeah. Now, Matthew's disagreeing with me here. He thinks that Kobe's body language was terrible. There was that post Shaq pre-Paul Gasol Kobe who was sad sulking and, and, and had a couple games where he like refused to shoot the ball because he hated because he because everyone complained that he didn't pass but he hated his teammates good point there was a smush parker lakers where he was actively antagonistic but from from a competitive standpoint yeah i never saw him get frustrated competitively or athletically and that uh, with the surrounding people i i, I yes but just he seemed like he wanted to carry the team. That is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a great thing happening today in St. Louis at Wash U in regards to the Olympics.
And we're going to talk to a great Olympian, Lori Kolopny, next about that and more on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN, and today is World Olympic Day, and it's Olympic Day here in St. Louis, and especially at Washington University, where a group of Olympians and kids are going to walk and run the track at Wash U from 10 to 1130. Among those either running or walking today, will be St. Louis and Lori Kolopny, gold medalist at the Beijing Olympics in 2008, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Lori, with Michelle Smallman, this is Randy Carricker. Thanks for taking some time this morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. You going to run or walk? <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I just have to keep up with Jackie Jordan Kersey. That's all, right? <laughs> yeah, that's all, Lori. Not a tall task at all. <laughs> no problem, right? <laughs> yeah, well, tell us about this Olympic Day and how you first got involved with it and why it was important to you to get involved in it. Yeah, I think this is my third year um, participating in the event. It's just such a great time to get together with some former Olympians and, and, and you know, also, I think, share our journey with with the kids who come. And it's, it's just a really fun, uh, family-friendly event. Um, yeah, I encourage everybody to come out 10 a.m. Um, and, and, yeah, just participate in some of the fun we've got going on. What does your gold medal mean to you? You know, it's, it's, it's a tough question. Uh, the, you know, I think the, the medal itself uh, just kind of represents all the memories. The, the medal itself isn't very meaningful. It's all of the it's all of it that went into it, you know, that went into earning it. And when I look at the medal, I think back to, you know, standing on the podium and, and hearing it, the national anthem being played and, you know, even just the blood, sweat and tears that went into making the team and getting through that tournament. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was quite a journey. <laughs> I'm sure. Lori, where is it right now? Oh, it's at home. My, yeah, I've got two little, two little ones, uh, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. They're like, they wear it regularly and, you know, as a necklace. And yeah, no, it's it's out and about. <laughs> Lori Kolebny with us, an Olympian, the, uh, the head coach of the women's team at Maryville University. And, and Lori, when you think about where you're going to be today and where what you experienced in Beijing, which was 104 years after St. Louis, it's amazing to me that we were able to host an Olympics. What about you, since you've, you've seen the biggest stage in what Olympics are now? Yeah, isn't it amazing just the, the evolution of the Olympic Games, but also knowing that, uh, you know, we, we are privileged. We are one of, one of the cities, few cities in the United States who has actually gotten to host an Olympic event. It's, it's pretty fun to think back about the history of, of where we're standing this morning, uh, walking, walking or running uh, the track um, at Francis Olympic Field. It's, it's pretty, pretty neat to be a part of that history. Lori, you're not only one of the great athletes to come out of the St. Louis, you're one of the greatest soccer players to come out of our country, and you're the head coach now at, uh, for the women's soccer over at Maryville. So you know just what a hotbed of soccer St. Louis is. With St. Louis City SC coming to town and kicking off next year, do you think that the country is about to really get a taste of what St. Louis is like as a soccer city? Yeah, you know, I think we, we've been uh, kind of thirsting for, the, for a professional team here in the city for a long time. Um, I, 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 every day I go out and I see bumper stickers and I see people wearing St. Louis city FC, um, t-shirts and sweatshirts. And it's just, it's so exciting to see, you know, the, the hype is real. We are, we are pumped. I think this city is going to really, 
shock people and, and kind of, I don't know, kind of like reinvigorate the St. Louis soccer scene a little bit because without a pro team, you know, um, I, I think we kind of got lost in the shuffle and it's, it's really exciting to, to see us kind of uh, emerge again. And, and yeah, I think people are going to be kind of be surprised to see what happens. Lori, from your perspective, how cool is it or how important is it to have the franchise be female owned? Oh, well, yeah, that's incredible. Um, I think this is, uh, it's the only MLS team to be female owned. This is, um, you know, I think just kind of shows the, the uh, evolution of the game and where we're at as a, as a society, you know, that this is not just a sport for men, um, but that, uh, that women can participate and, and be in the front offices as well. It's, it's a great symbol. And one last thing, it's going to be so cool to have the kids involved with all the Olympians. And we talk all the time. I don't know if you talk to your girls, because your girls at, at Maryville, they're actually outside playing, but there's so many kids now that are inside playing video games or they're on their computer or they're on their phone. I love the idea of getting kids out on a track to experience what they're going to experience today. Absolutely. That's what this is all about. Uh, um, yeah, getting the kids out, letting them, like, like I said, hear the stories and just experience the kind of Olympic spirit, um, you know, talk about things like perseverance and, 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 you know, goal setting and achieving goals and what that feels like. I think, you know, sports, you know, it, it, it's, it's not just about the wins and losses. It's about being a part of a team and experiencing uh, all of these, these crazy ups and downs together. And there's so much that, that, uh, that we learn through playing sports and, there's uh yeah you want to encourage as many kids as possible to to get involved uh, one way or another Lori, thanks so much for doing that today and being such a, a key part of the st louis sports community we appreciate you taking some time today and good luck this coming year at maryville too absolutely i appreciate it thank you very much that is Lori kolopney st louisan gold medal winner one of as you mentioned michelle one of the best athletes ever to come out of our area and think about how cool this is that this is just an event that's happening in st louis olympic day so uh, we were america's first olympic city st louis was which is something we should be very proud of and mm-hmm. something that we should continue to honor but you can go out and you can run the track at WashU with not only Lori Kolopney, but jackie joiner kersey and other olympians that came from the st louis area and you get to hear them talk about about their journey and about, as Lori said, the perseverance and hard work and dedication that it takes to get to that point. It's just an amazing free event that's out there for everybody that I think um, could really benefit a lot of people. Hey, we have a minute here. I want to talk about tonight, Stanley Cup Final Game 4 here on 101 ESPN, pregame at, at, at 6.30. Because, Michelle, even though Colorado has the two games to one lead, I look at the goaltending situation for Colorado and the fact that they're confused by it and the goalies must be confused about it, and neither is great. I really think that all the momentum, and it should be with a win by Tampa the other night, but all the momentum seems to be in Tampa Bay's favor here. And it also seems like they were able to really pay attention in games one and two about the ways that Colorado was able to beat and exploit them and apply those lessons to game three, especially with the start, because Colorado was coming out scoring really quick and really dominating to start the game. And Tampa Bay said, "Mm -mm, we're not going to let you do that again. And so I think if they can continue to exert themselves and as Pat Maroon said, play Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay lightning hockey, that they'll be right back in this thing. And the more I watch the Avalanche in games like the other night. And granted, they were fantastic in the first two games. But I am coming around to your way of thinking. I really do think that, well, I don't think there's any question now if the Blues would have had Bennington that they would have knocked Colorado out of the playoffs. 
Absolutely. They six seconds away from taking it to overtime and in a game seven, anything could happen. They took them to seconds left in game six without Jordan Bennington, without Tory Krug, without a healthy mm-hmm. Braden Shen. They're right there. Yeah, and so it's a bummer from that perspective, but we know that uh, we had, if not the best, the second best team in the league this year. You know what Ricky Bobby says? Being first, first, you're last. Dang it. I hate being last. Sorry, Sorry, Blues. No, you know what? Montreal was last. He was high (laughs) when he said that. Now. It's true. Good point. Does that... I'm telling you, this has shifted my way of thinking for this offseason because at first I thought maybe it is time to part with Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. Now I'm kind of looking at completely rebooting what we just had. I know that Matthew Chuck is the ultimate goal, but you could still get him in the following year. Yep. And I just am a little wary of removing 82 points from the equation with the Blues, knowing that this team, this collection of guys, give or take a piece or two, could be Stanley Cup champions. Since 2016, and this includes, by the way, losing Petrangelo. I think since losing David Backus, I think this is the toughest puzzle that Doug Armstrong has encountered in building a French, in building a team for 22-23. Yeah, because even with the Petro situation, he had acquired Justin Falk mm-hmm. a year early as a safety net. Um, he went out and made the Tory Krug move with a quickness, um, he he knew what he was doing. He had time to think about that and knew what the landscape was. And as I said, had Justin Falk as a backup plan. But this one's tough. This There's a lot of numbers that need to be crunched and musical chairs. And I don't know who's going to be left without a chair. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, it's the fight on 101 ESPN. And we need a fighter. Text in 65780 because if you've never fought before, and you would like to fight now, we don't have a fighter. So in the next minute or two, text in 65780 with the word fight, and maybe Matthew will get in touch with you about participating today. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Before we get to the fight here on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, I have to address something. Matt, have you gone full Beyonce on us? Are you just referring to yourself by one name now in our in our Sports Center updates? Maybe, yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it back. That's that's I I, I the first name is 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 only a thing that kind of came back into my life in the last like two or three years, and I'm fighting back against it. I'm just going back to the straight Rocky on the Sports Center updates. I didn't get the memo that I, you I, are you now I just, like I, Madonna. You're I a one name person. I went completely memoless because that's what that's what Beyonce and Madonna would do. Okay, so are we not allowed to call you Matt anymore? No, you can call me Matt, Matthew, Rocky. I don't really care. I just I just decided to go to do it for the Sports Center updates. Okay, well, I just noticed that you're now calling yourself by one name, and I <laughs> thought I should get clarification because every day during the fight, I say Matt, ring the bell, but you've dropped the Matt. You can call. You can do them again. I, I don't really care. I've just gone. With, okay. I've gone with what I want to go with. I don't really care what other people do. That's how I live my life. Well, I don't want people to call me <laughs> Shelly, so I don't want to be calling you Matt if you only want to be called Rocky. That's fair. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, I'm just asking right, for. Well, clarification. The last name. I'm good with it. Okay. I like it. 
So from now on, we are not going to be calling Matt Matt. He wants to go full Beyonce and only be known as Rockio per his Sports Center updates. We'll make sure that Randy knows when uh, he comes back into the room. But let's welcome in Randy's challenger right now. Ryan is here with us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Ryan, uh, where are you from? Where are you calling us from? I'm from Edwardsville, Illinois. Oh, buddy. 618-er. <laughs> Love it, yes, Ryan. Happy to hear from my Illside people. Are you ready to take on Megamind today? I will do my best. All right. Let's go. Good luck to you. Question number one for Ryan. Happy birthday to Kurt Warner. How many total times was Warner voted to the Pro Bowl in his career? Is it four, five, or six? Go with five. Pete Maravich's single-season scoring record still stands at the tops in NCAA history. How many points per game did Pistol Pete average? Was that 44, 40, or 42? 44. Confidence in that one. Happy birthday also to Dustin Johnson. Which major did DJ win first in his career? Was it the Masters, the British Open, or the U.S. Open? U.S. Open. And prior to his majority ownership in the St. Louis Browns, what MLB franchise did Bill Veck own before? Did Bill Beck have a controlling stake in before the St. Louis Browns? Sorry, let me read that again. I screwed myself up. Prior to his majority ownership in the St. Louis Browns, what MLB franchise did Bill Veck have a controlling stake in? Was it the Cleveland Indians, the Milwaukee Brewers, or the Chicago White Sox? Chicago White Sox. Score check. Confirmed. Waving in Mr. Carricker. Ryan, I'll do my best Danny Mac impression. What do you do for a living? I'm a teacher and a driver's ed instructor. Oh, wonderful. What do you teach? I teach health, driver's ed, geography, a variety of things. Oh, my gosh. You're a master of all trades, Ryan. I appreciate that. Randy, please say good morning to Ryan. Ryan, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Uh, Randy, before we get to the fight, mm-hmm. I need to let you know that... Matt no longer wants to be called Matt. He is only referring to himself as Rockio in the Sports Center oh. update. He's gone full Beyonce, and I didn't get the memo, but I said, I don't want people calling me Shelly, and if you're dropping the Matt, I don't want to disrespect you by calling you Matt. So he Rockio. only wants to be known as Rockio. Fair enough. Smalls and Michelle. Right, but most people call me Michelle, so I'm just... That's fair. That's fair. So That's you, fair. you're the one that dropped the Matt. I All just right. want to... I appreciate it. You know what? Let Brandy the know fact that. that you noticed is, is important. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be respectful. So, Randy, from now on, I'm going to be saying, Rocky will ring the bell, just so you're, like you're prepared. Good. Okay, question number one. Happy mm-hmm. birthday to Randy's boy, Kurt Warner. Kurt. Randy loves him some Kurt Warner. How many total times was Kurt Warner voted to the Pro Bowl in his career? I believe, Michelle, that it was twice here, right, in 99 and 01. And then none with the Giants, and I think two with the Arizona Cardinals. I think it was a total of four. Pete Maravich's single-season scoring record still stands at the tops in NCAA history. How many points per game did Pistol Pete average? He was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I'll do the lifeline, Matthew. Is it 44, <laughs> 40, or 42? I'll go with 44. Happy birthday also to Dustin Johnson. DJ. Very rich man now. Which major did DJ first win in his career? I think it was the U.S. Open. 
Prior to his majority ownership in the St. Louis Browns, what MLB franchise did Bill Veck have a controlling stake in? Prior to the Prior Browns. Prior to the Browns. Okay, so he had the White Sox after. I think... I th- For some reason, Cleveland strikes me. I'm going to go with the Indians. Not the Guardians, but the Indians then. Randy Ryan is a 618-er. He's from the Illside. Hey, Illside. So even though I love you, you know I always pull for my Illside piece. You always pull for everybody against me. Not everybody. 314, 573, no, 636ers. Not those 636ers. No way. Anyway, did my 618-er Ryan defeat Randy? Or did Randy continue to be Megamind? Rockio, ring the bell. <laughs> Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! Still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Just win, baby. Ryan. Oh, Hillsider. Here's to the winner. <laughs> I am a champion. I am number one. That's my bad, Ryan, because I said I was cheering for you. Randy stunted just a little oh. harder. My bad. <laughs> He's so smart. He is so smart. Ryan says it's so defeated. He's so smart. <laughs> well, Ryan, you're great, too. You are you might not have been the winner today, but you're number one in my eyes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. We appreciate it, Ryan. Did you get a jack yesterday? I may have. Back-to-back jacks, I, may not. I think. Mm-hmm. Man. Well, I'll, I'll run through the answers again, even though Randy got them all right. Um, Kurt Warner voted to the Pro Bowl four times in his career. Uh, 99th through 01, three here, and in 08 with Arizona. Happy birthday to Kurt. Hopefully he's having a lovely day. HBD, Kurt. HBD to Kurt. Pete Maravich is single. By the way, let me, just a quick aside. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this. I don't know why we were talking about this over the weekend. But one time, this time of year, the Rams were moving all their equipment to Macomb, and I'm working out at the Y up here at McKelvey and Bennington. And I'm I'm lifting. I'm on the bench lifting. I open my because I lift hard with my eyes. I open my eyes and there's Kurt Warner standing what? over me because there was no weights. They'd taken all the weights from Rams Park to Macomb, and Kurt was working out at the Y with the, with the regular peeps after his rookie year. After well, after the first after '99. So this is like the summer of 2000. It's unbelievable. He does the work. Yeah, he's not, no days off for Kurt. No, uh-uh. he'll find a way even at the Y. So, isn't it weird that? Uh, the MVP of the NFL was working out with the rest of the folks at the YMCA. That's so cool. He's the best. <laughs> Happy birthday to Kurt. Pete Maravich's single season scoring record still stands at the tops in NCAA history. He had 44 points per game. That was his average. Unbelievable. 44.2 to be exact. HBDE2, a very rich man, Justin, Dustin, Dustin Johnson. The first major that DJ won was the U.S. Open in 2016. And prior to his majority ownership in the St. Louis Browns, Bill Vec had a controlling stake in the Cleveland Indians. All right. Thank you very much, Michelle. By the way, today's a crazy day for birthdays in sports. Clyde Drexler, uh, Pete Maravich, also his mm-hmm. birthday today, Kurt Warner, Dustin Johnson, uh, Champ Bailey. It's a ridiculous day for sports birthdays. A lot today. of Hall of Famers. Yeah, June, June 22nd, sneaky, sneaky Hall of Famer birthday day. Yeah. Everyone um, always talks about the one with like Jordan and like Ken Griffey Jr. and everything like that in January. Tiger, I think, is in there right. too. But I mean, this one's a little sneaky. Great summer birthdays. They're great. Hey, Michelle, I want to offer condolences, and I'm sure you do too, to the family of Ralph Rockman from Sports Print. 
He passed away over the weekend, and just a, a great St. Louis and a great guy, a huge Cardinal fan, and when the Cardinals were winning in the 80s, it was Sports Print that was printing the shirts, and we would go over and do shows over at Sports Print. He was so proud of Ferguson, and, and Ralph spent the last three and a half uh, weeks of his life in hospice, but condolences to his family, his wife Kathy and son Matt, along with uh, Matt's sisters Allison, Molly, and Courtney, and uh, St. Louis lost a, a really good guy o- over the weekend in Ralph Rockman. Yeah, and so- to his family, sorry for your loss. I'm yeah. sure it's a, a really tough time. No doubt. We uh, we appreciate uh, the family and them reaching out, and we appreciate all that Ralph did for the St. Louis metro area. That's the fight coming up next. You're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. Right now, your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash, Cards and Marlins. The Budweiser Bash game, the next Budweiser Bash game of the season, features a limited edition dual bobblehead giveaway featuring former Cardinal pitchers John Stuper and Dave LaPointe. They were both rookie starters for the 1982 World Champions. Get all the details for the Budweiser Bash at cardinals.com slash promotions. But you can win a four-pack right now by texting in the answer to this question. What year? Did Lori Kolopny win her gold medal in soccer for the U.S. Olympic women's soccer team? What year did she win it? If you are, text her, Michelle, pick a number between 1 and 100. 72. Uh, text her number 72, Dan Deardorff's number. If you are text her number 72 with the answer to that question, when Lori Kolopny won her gold medal, you get four tickets to uh, the Cardinals Budweiser Bash game against the Marlins next Tuesday on the 28th. That actually could be a fun game because you love numbers so much. Mm-hmm. In the dog days of July when we have nothing to talk about, I should just pull out numbers randomly and you give me the the best athlete that you can remember that wore that number. First response. I, I like that. That'd be fun. First one that comes to mind. Yeah. yeah. I, I can play that game. I know you can. That's why it would be entertaining. <laughs> we'll do it. As a matter of fact, I actually texted Dan McLaughlin last night towards the end of the game, and the text was, best number 56 in sports history, Ryan Helsley or Lawrence Taylor? Oh. <laughs> I'm going Ryan Helsley. Because he took he, LT. Well, I'm going to go Ryan Helsley because he, his career has just started. Yeah, he, he could ascend to the level He could be the best ever. LT. Maybe. I don't know. He was on in or bay at Top Golf, so shout out to Ryan Helsley. Yeah, he's a good guy. But Lawrence Taylor, what a monster. Oh man, best ever. Didn't Bill Belichick say he's the best player he's he's ever seen, yeah. ever coached? Uh, thirty second story here. We were having an argument when I think it was Andre Tippett went into the Hall of Fame. Me and DeMarco were having an argument. And finally because he said, Oh, Tippett's better than Taylor. I said, Come on. <laughs> and so I had whoever our producer was, I had him call Hannafin and put Hanny on the line and I said Coach, who's better between Andre Tippett and Lawrence Taylor? And he goes, nobody's better than Lawrence Taylor. And I was doing a dance around here. It was pretty funny. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Everybody in football agrees that LT was the best ever. I thought you were going to say that he said, don't call me with dumb questions. (laughs) (laughs) Donald has to be comparable, right? Who? Donald. Aaron Donald, he well, has to be comparable, right? But LT was the he he changed the game playing that outside linebacker that that rush position. What you see now in the draft is edge that didn't exist before Lawrence Taylor came along, and so. 
Donald playing on the inside. Donald's a dominant player, but the best defensive player of all time was Lawrence Taylor. You're killing me, Smalls! A lot of talk about live golf, Randy, especially now that Brooks Kepka has decided to defect from the PGA and go to live. But over the weekend at the U.S. Open, Charles Barkley was talking about live golf, and he was asked about what he thought about these golfers taking the money and joining the Saudi-backed live golf tour. And here's what Charles Barkley had to say. I don't judge other people. Listen, if someone gave me $200 million, I'd kill a relative. I'm serious. They said Phil Mickelson got $200 million and Dustin Johnson got $150 million. For $150 million, I'd kill a relative, even one I liked. (laughs) He's not wrong. You and I, we've both talked about this, as critical as we can be of the golfers for going. And it's their choice. We would take the money too, right? Probably. Yeah, we, we'd take the money. And these guys, it's not unreasonable for the people that have left to say, okay, my legacy is cemented. I'm not going to do anything else on the PGA Tour, especially if they allow me to play in majors. I got no reason to not take this. Would you kill a relative for $200 million? Yeah. How about one you liked? And we're yeah. not talking second or third cousins twice removed. Yeah, sure. relative. What'd you say? Yeah, sure. Two hundred million. <laughs> Everyone in Randy's family the, is like, "Yikes!" Watch the rest, out. Of, rest of the family is set for life, though. See, I have a small family, and I think that if you remove one component, well, it's, it's also a pretty family. tough balance. Well, where somebody's going to get back if if you kill somebody? Oh yeah, I'm Italian. Yeah, I mean, exactly. They're going to lay in wait. But listen, whoever's got the money. They're the boss, all right? They're the boss of the family. Well, then you would be the boss. So I would be the new boss. Sorry, Dad. So would you Sorry, the... Uncle Terry. I'm assuming the head of the table. So, yeah. I'm the captain now. Well, and what you do then in this scenario is you have the top guy whacked. Well, they can't whack me. I have all the money. No, I mean, once you, that's how you, you get to the top is with the money and the top guy gone. Oh, no. I would just pay them off to be my conciliaries. Oh, good play. Yeah, I need their advice and their wisdom okay. and their love and support. I don't need to whack them. So you... So it'll be a different family member that's in trouble. Yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> I got it. Uh, yeah, I don't know who, <laughs> but I'm sure I can find someone. The, the ringer at the Spalman Open. If, if you come through marriage, you're technically family, right? Yep. I mean, yep. I'm just saying. But $200 million is a lot of money. I know it's very easy for us to sit on our high horse and pontificate about these things. We're not having to choose between $200 million, taking it and maybe feeling a little badly about it or not having that money. Nothing. We don't have to make that decision. Nothing in Phil Mickelson's life is going to change if he doesn't take the $200 million. It will change for the better for his and his family if he does take the $200 million. He's not winning any more big golf tournaments. He, it was a smart move on his part. And probably smart for Kepka, who's been hurt for three years. Smart for DeChambeau. You're not as good when you're not on the juice. Smart for DJ. You know, also smart for all of these guys. For sure. Here's Mark Schleybaugh, ESPN senior writer, talking about Liv and how this thing will even find any success. You know, it's going to come down to two things. Can Live Golf get official World Golf ranking points recognition? Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably not going to be decided for another year. Uh, Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour Commissioner, and Keith Pelly, the head of the uh, DP World Tour, which used to be called the European Tour, those two guys sit on the board that decides whether or not they'll get points. 
So that's going to be interesting whether or not they recuse him. And then the other thing, of course, is the majors. Yep. What does the USGA do with the U.S. Open, Augusta National, PGA of America, and, and the RNA? Well, the RNA announced today that they're going to allow live golfers to play in the British. The only outlier here is the Masters, and that might have some effect. But how can you give world golf ranking points to guys that are playing team golf? If you're not playing real tournaments, if it's 54 That's holes it. rather than 72, and you're playing with a team, how can you get points to those guys? Yeah, I don't know how they're going to be able to determine that or allow that to happen. Yeah, I, I don't see it either. But again, I really don't know that to these guys it matters because they left with the knowledge that they weren't going to be playing in the FedEx Cup series. They aren't going to be in the in that top group to play for the championship. So... They knew what they were getting into when they left, and they're hey, they get to play eight times a year plus the four majors, and they're getting tons of money. So good for them. The three one four says everybody's got a cousin Eddie that won't be missed that much for two hundred million dollars. Right about that, you are one hundred percent right. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. That's Michelle, and that is you're killing me, Smalls. Next up, our buddy Brian Jordan's in town. We're going to talk to him next on one hundred one ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yesterday, we were having a discussion about athletic baseball players, and Michelle asked me who the most athletic Cardinal I'd ever seen was. And before I knew that we were going to have this gentleman on the show today, I said, Brian Jordan, who's now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and BJ, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, man. I, hey, I owe you some money for saying that, man. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, y- you know what an athlete you were because when you're when you're young and you're really athletic you you get the idea okay that I can do more than these guys how old were you when you looked around and you said man I, I can just do more athletically than these other guys that I'm with you know it, it was a dream of mine when I was six years old I mean my dad was a great athlete and uh my granddad used to always tell me how great he was in all sports so I knew I wanted to outdo my dad that was number one and uh I wanted to play multiple sports. My dad always encouraged me to do that. So when I got nine years old, that was my dream. I wanted to be a two-sport professional athlete, and I didn't know which sport it was going to be because basketball is my favorite sport. But uh, I ended up picking baseball and football, of course, because I was only six foot and I wasn't a point guard. So that <laughs> made sense to me to stick with baseball and football in college. I'm surprised, Brian, that basketball was your favorite sport. So you just determined that you didn't think you'd be able to make it professionally in basketball? Yeah, I mean, I could jump out of the gym. I played great defense. I would score you 15 points, get you uh, 10 rebounds a game. But I wasn't a point guard. And, you know, being six foot, that's not tall enough to play in the NBA. Do you ever look back? And you you achieved your goal, playing in the NFL and playing Major League Baseball. But what would you have been able to accomplish in baseball if you had concentrated only on baseball? You know, that's the $100 million question, right? (laughs) You know, that just wasn't my dream. Let's just stick with one. I mean, I wanted to do two. Uh, I mean... Who knows? If I'd have ever learned the game of baseball, I could have been pretty successful at it. I, I, you were. I look back. You were anyway. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I played. I like. I look back and hitting behind Chipper Jones, I felt like was one of the greatest hitters I ever hit behind, and how he knew the game so well, 
I kind of wish that, man, if I would have played a lot of minor league baseball, maybe I would have learned the game, learned how to hit like Chipper Jones and, and some of the great hitters. But, you know, I was instinctive see ball, hit ball. I mean, that was that's the way I played the game. Uh, you know, I learned. Heck, I didn't really learn the game until like my 12th year in Major League Baseball. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was it was learn as I go, and uh, but you know I love I love to play it, and felt like being athletic really helped me adjust to the game of baseball. Brian, do you think someone like you could have success in today's game with analytics being so important in the video? It seems like players can't just really rely on simply their athletic abilities. They can't just do see ball, hit ball today. You're right. I mean, I, I would have probably hit 400 home runs, just lift the <laughs> leg up and just swing hard and strike out and don't care about it. But, you know, it's a different game. There's no doubt about that. Yes, I could have been successful at it. You know, it's no doubt uh, just making adjustments. But it's a, it's a different game. You watch all the shifts and, you know, everybody's worried about exit velocity. I say if you hit one over the wall, I don't care whether it's, 10 miles an hour or 100 miles an hour, it went over the wall. That's all that matters. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's technology. This is the new new generation. So they're trying to appease the new generation, and, and these, these numbers are important. So, I mean, it works. I'm not going to say it doesn't. Uh, but it surely takes away from that ABC baseball that we were so used to seeing and just going out and winning ball games. You're sitting there scratching your head like, Wow, shorten up your swing and, and they're shifting you all the way over. Just hit it the other way for a single and keep the line moving and you'll win ball games. But I guess it's not as easy as it looks today's game. So, yeah, I'm still adjusting in the booth. <laughs> I understand. Well, since we have one of the best athletes that we've ever seen on the phone, I need to ask you about one of the best athletes that I'm seeing in my lifetime, and that's Shohei Otani. Tell me what you think when you watch Shohei Otani play baseball. Wow. I mean, he's different. This kid is different. Uh, I love watching him. I love watching him pitch and compete. Uh, but even more, I love when he takes it, gets in that batter's box. I mean, he is dangerous. I'm looking so forward to seeing seeing him play for the first time. Uh, the Braves have him uh, coming up soon in the Atlanta, so it's going to be exciting. I mean, some of the things that he's able to do on the mound and and out in the field is just uh, it's, it's. I'm still scratching my head, but I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I mean, I think it's it's encouraging kids. To, to dream big and, and work hard to hopefully, you know, we'll see another Tony, which is going to be hard to do, but I think we will as far as just the baseball aspects of, of seeing a pitcher and a hitter. I think that's more reality than seeing another two-sport professional athlete playing different sports. Brian Jordan does pregame for the world champion Atlanta Braves, and you told us about this time last year. Hey, watch out for the Braves. They're going to get their pitching back, and uh, all they need to do is get another bat in the outfield. They wound up getting three after Acuna got hurt and wound up winning the World Series. So I, I want to have you look at uh, two of your former teams for us. We'll put the Dodgers aside because they're awesome. And Atlanta and St. Louis, what are your impressions, first of all, of uh, this year's Braves? Uh, well, I I like this year's break, especially now that we brought up a young kid named Michael Harris II. Uh, I think that solidifies our defense in the outfield. 
think that was a big weakness of ours in April and, and half of May. Our defense really let us down uh, in the outfield. But now that we have Michael Harris, I say one through nine. Uh, of course, Albies is a huge loss for the Braves. But Arcia, a guy that played every day in Milwaukee for a while, he stepped in and he's done a, a tremendous job. And Matt Olson, who is uh, Freddie Freeman's replacement, is starting to heat up. He hit two home runs last night. Uh, he's still driving in runs. I think he's up over 40 now. So he's starting to get hot. But our pitching, starting pitching has been great. Uh, you know, we're still trying to figure out the fifth starter. Strata had stepped in and done the job last night. He did not look good. <laughs> San Francisco beat him, uh, beat the Braves 12-10 to 10 last night. But the bullpen has been great. And we still have injuries. We know you lost Massick, you lost Luke Jackson. That was the uh, the midnight shift la- uh, last year, getting it done during the playoffs and World Series. You know, you lose a couple of guys from there, but Alex Anthopoulos does a great job of replacing these guys. So right now, the Braves just come out off a 14-game win streak. Uh, so they're playing some good baseball. Uh, you know, I, lo- I look at our Cardinals too, and. Gosh, these young players are really impressing me. The Gorman and Donovan. I'm like, where did these guys come from? But, <laughs> man, they have jumped on the scene. And, you know, last night it was good to see Flaherty back on the mound, uh, working his way back. Uh, I love the fact that we brought Pujols back. Uh, just for St. Louis fans and just the camaraderie in that in the clubhouse is it, good to see. But, you know, Goldie and yeah, – uh, our third base. Arenado. Arenado. I mean, those guys are they're the veterans to, that lead this young bunch, man. They they are getting it done. It's going to be a good match. I think they can take advantage of Milwaukee right now because Milwaukee has lost a lot of their starters. So mm-hmm. it's going to be fun to watch both of these teams. They, they meet up, I think, coming up in two weeks in Atlanta. So it's going to be fun. It'll be great. Brian Jordan is in town for, among other things, the Demetrius Johnson Charitable Foundation Golf Tournament today. You have your own foundation, the Brian Jordan Foundation. People can find it at brianjordanfoundation.com. And you do amazing work with your foundation. What's your main focus right now? Well, right now, I write children's books. So uh, we, we raised a lot of money last year to give a lot of scholarships out this year to so those underprivileged kids who you know, would normally not go to college. We're, we're able to fund some of their scholarship and get them in. But my big thing is my children's books now. I, I challenge these elementary school kids to read. And, you know, I, I did – Douglas County was my first pilot where I worked with third graders because they're building jails based on third-grade reading. And I wanted to see where third grade was in Georgia. And, wow, we are so behind. So to motivate these kids and inspire them – has made a huge difference in the elementary school space. So that's that's my mission now. I did Clayton County this year, uh, and I want to do not just in Georgia. I want to start doing these reading challenges all around the world. So it's such a problem with technology taking over. we got to keep these kids reading. So that's, that's my mission. I don't know how I started writing <laughs> children's books because I was that kid with no confidence in reading, but it's been great. It's been great. Good for you, and, and we thank you for doing that. And uh, we, we thank you for participating and joining us on the show. I will see you over at Forest Park later this afternoon. All right, looking forward to it, Randy. Thanks, Michelle.
Thanks, Brian. Talk to you later. BJ, take care. That is our friend Brian Jordan and uh, one of the the terrific former Cardinals who's heavily involved in their fantasy camps. He's mm-hmm. still a Cardinal at heart, and it's great to have him as part of the organization. And what an admirable mission to get kids mm-hmm. reading, get people reading, period. But I just love that that's a new chapter, no pun intended, that's developed in his life, that this is something that he wasn't really confident about as a kid, and now it's become a mission of his. I think that is so wonderful. It's very cool. Coming up, one of the more compelling Wednesdays with Wayno you will ever hear. We interviewed Adam yesterday because he's pitching today and you'll love the interview and it's a rather extended interview that we have coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Getting you inside the cards. Inside corner and he struck him out. That strikeout number 1,000 at Bush Stadium for Adam Wainwright. It's Redbirds pitcher Adam Wainwright on 101 ESPN. Third time through the lineup, he strikes out seven and he strikes out the side in the seventh inning. Presented by Chick-fil-A. Earn points on your next mobile order with the Chick-fil-A app. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is Wednesday, and it's time for Wednesdays with Wayno. Cardinal pitcher Adam Wainwright joins us as he does every Wednesday on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, Wayno. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are y'all? Good. You're getting set to pitch in Milwaukee. But before we get to Milwaukee, i got to find out about Boston. How did you like Fenway, and how did you like the weekend in Boston? Well, it would have been better to win two out of three than lose two out of three to them. Um, but we played some tough games. We uh, we learned a lot about their players. We might see them later in the postseason. Who knows? They're a good team. They're, they've uh, After that first couple of weeks, they really started playing well. And June, they've been really good. Um, but, uh, you know, a couple of times we beat ourselves. And so it was a learning, it was a learning uh, experience for a lot of our players. And um, always great to see Fenway. Always great to see history, you know, and, and – uh, and see the the things that baseball looked like 150 years ago or however long that park's been there. I mean, might have been 350 years. I don't know. It's been there a long time. Um, but uh, Boston is a great city, too, to visit, and the, the fans are awesome. So, uh, and, our, and our fans traveled well, man. We had a great representation in Boston, uh, as we did last night or a couple nights ago in, uh, in Milwaukee. Our fans are traveling as good or better than I've ever seen them this year, and I think it – might have something to do with old number five being out there. Well, Adam, speaking of, of number five, I heard that Albert may have arranged for the team to go to an NBA Finals game while you guys were in Boston. Is that true? And if so, can you take us through that experience? He's such a stud. We, uh, <laughs> we did. He, he, uh, he, he surprised everyone with a, a box suite at the Boston Garden for game six which ended up being the clinching game. And we watched Steph Curry put on an absolute clinic. I mean, it was just so cool to watch one of the best ever go about his business. And, I mean, it looked like he was – honestly, it looked like Steph Curry was was running around, um, like like skating, like gliding, you know, but running around and everybody else had their feet tied together or something. It was – he was just so – much smoother and faster than everybody out there. It was just remarkable. I mean, that every time he did anything, we all looked at each other like, wow, dude, that was amazing. And he shoots, you know, the guy shoots from 
all different angles and doesn't have his feet set or off balance, and it could be from half court. It doesn't really matter. If he gets the ball in his hands and has a clean look at it, it's, it's probably going in. I mean, he's probably the best shooter of all time. But it was really fun to see. And Albert, you know, Albert set that up. He didn't have to do that, and he and he, uh, you know, that wasn't cheap either. By the way, he he uh, he's a very generous guy, but he's a we love him as a teammate. What a fun bonding experience for all of you. Well, last thing for me, Adam, about Boston, you got to oppose a guy that you know pretty well and Michael Waka on Friday night. And we actually had him on the show Monday. And I asked him about what it was like for him to face you, someone who you guys have a relationship. You've meant so much to him in his career. You've been a mentor to him. And and I asked him what he's learned from you that he's carried forward into his career today. And this is what he had to say. There's, there's a lot of things. I would have to say maybe he helped me with like a routine, you know, early on in my career, he was, uh, he was the guy that I would always just, I would watch everything that he did. Um, you know, that was starting in my first spring training and I was in the same spring training groups as him. And we would go to different fields and do different drills with him. And I would be able to watch how he went about his business, um, you know, in the clubhouse and, uh, in the training room, in the weight room, and then also, you know, how he carried himself off the field as well. Adam, do you ever think about that, how your mentorship to some of these younger guys or some of your peers even is part of your legacy, how they've taken things you've taught them and applied it to their success? Well, I mean, you, I know what impact my mentors had on me. And <clears throat> I think deep down, you just hope that you can have or have the ability to have an effect on somebody else in the same way. You know, that, that means a lot to me hearing Michael say that because, because walk is uh, a special person. You know, he's a special guy. He's a great teammate. He was a great friend. He's, he's uh, just a good person, you know, and, and I like being around guys like that. It was, we were sad to see, see him go. We were sad to see him go through a couple of injuries because he would have been a guy who, you know, kind of like me stayed around for a long time he was the perfect cardinal guy we just we loved having him around and he was a he was a great cardinal when he was there when he was healthy one of the best in the game so it's a it's it's a it's a cool thing for me to hear somebody special to me like that you know actually say that what we were doing together actually meant something because i know how special my mentors were me and uh and to hear Michael say that, that, that means a lot. And Adam, we, we see him bounce back, have a, a great year after the injuries, as you mentioned. You've done that. We, now we're seeing Miles Michaelis pitch so well coming off of his injuries. How much has medicine changed for pitchers since you started in the majors in 2005? Oh, medicine, huh? Um, I think, <laughs> for pitchers. I think really uh, recovery has become a big part of of baseball and pitchers games. I mean, you know, it it used to be recovery used to not really be a a thought, honestly. It was for for me and, and most other people it was it was uh, you know, the day after you pitch, how hard can I push my body? And, and some guys still do this. Uh, I can't do it at my age anymore, but how hard can I push my body in the weight room? crushing legs, crushing upper body, those couple of days in between. How hard can I run? How fast can I go? You know, how much can I push? And some of that's good, honestly. You you want to get to a point where you can really you can push through things sometimes and you can see how far your body will go. But I, I've really been uh, seeing the benefits 
of of how important recovery is also to go along with that at least um you know uh michelle and i talked about a thing called the hyperbaric chamber which is something i, I try to do a couple times a week get in there and and uh get the blood pumping and and then we you know I, i'm right now i'm hooked up to a thing called a normatech that that gets the blood flowing better in your legs and your upper body and then i'm you know i'm also hooked up to something called the beamer right now that that gets your capillaries flowing and it's all designed to get those lactic lactic acids out and and pump in good clean blood get all that oxygenated blood into your your bloodstream better and faster and 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 that really promotes healing and uh you know it's it's kind of been remarkable for me to to see the benefits of of healing you know it's something that Obviously, you know when you cut your finger or something, you put a you put some neosporin or a bandaid on it or whatever. I wasn't doing that to my body very often, you know. Honestly, I wasn't I wasn't uh, I wasn't taking the time to heal up and and uh, I was just working, pushing, 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 and, and eventually that ends up uh, hurting you. Honestly, um, so you got to take the time to get ready and 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 to recover. And and I've seen the benefits of that big time. And I I think Miles and all the other pitchers out there are taking advantage of it. I mean, I never got a massage in my life until two years ago and uh that was incredible for me i always thought you know that's for wimps or whatever and now i'm like hey i need all these wimpy things i can get (laughs) well we hear about the blues that they can't keep david perron out of the out of the massage room and it's clearly a thing that helps guys especially as you move along in a career as you do get older uh, if you can get your muscles smoothed out and if like that's another thing with lactic acid right it's another thing that helps just in the general recovery process and you need it. I mean, these seasons are so long, and and uh, Veron's in there for a reason, man. You know, you, you get tight, you get all bound up, and then what happens is when when something's not flowing and working like it should, something else takes the brunt of that, and you compromise by you know putting more pressure on something else, and that's where injuries occur. One of the reasons I wanted to ask you about Miles is because it wasn't too long ago where if a guy had a forearm strain that kept him out for a couple of months, we would say, just get the Tommy John, all right? Because we know it's going to be Tommy John. And now we've reached a point where it seems like when you look at a guy like DeGrom, who's going to come back without Tommy John surgery, apparently, and uh, we, we see Miles, it, that's another thing that seems to have changed, at least from my view in the last 15 years. It doesn't seem like uh, doctors and teams are as enthusiastic about going in there and just doing a surgery. Uh, I, I would say that um, teams were ever like overly enthusiastic and pushing people. Now, I have heard parents um, of young people say, yeah, he's got a sore elbow. I think we're just going to have Tommy John. I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. That's, you know, because anytime you have surgery and you cut on things and then you replace them with other things and it takes time to recover, sometimes you don't recover, honestly. It's a it's a tricky, you know, surgery, the, the surgery success rate on Tommy John is very high. They have a, the, the rehab protocols down to a science for sure. But it's still surgery. It's still... You're still uh, there's still complications that can happen, and and I I'm living evidence that that rehabbing things work at least for a time. I mean, I, I partially strained my elbow my junior year of high school, you know, and I had six years before I partially strained it again in AAA, and then I had six years until it it did it again. So I, I actually played for for 12 years after the initial strain. And if I had had Tommy John and AAA where it was, a, it was on the table as a possibility, 
I wouldn't have closed out the World Series in 06. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have had two Cy Young finalist seasons in 9 and 10, probably. You know, it was just it, everything would have been pushed back. If, and, and if I had had it in AAA, who knows where my, my career path would have gone. Would I have, would I have trended in a different direction? Would the Cardinals have seen me as an injury risk? Would I have, would I have had the opportunity to, to pitch all season in 05, learn the lessons I did, and get called up and then sit down, which is inevitably one of the, the game changers for me in my career? Would I have had the ability to, to go out and, and pitch in the World Series the following year? Probably not. You know, I would, It just wouldn't have happened that way. So everything happens for a reason. But you know, don't rush into surgery. Make sure you've, you've exhausted all the other options first because who knows, you might end up closing World Series out in the meantime. Such good perspective, Adam. This is why we love talking to you. But speaking of recovery, your battery mate, Yadier Molina, dealing with some knee inflammation right now. He's out on the injury list. And when we got the news, the first thing I thought of was, oh, man, I hate that Yadier's dealing with an injury. And I hope that he's okay. I was worried about his health first. But then right after that, I'm thinking, oh, man, but the battery record, the all-time battery record, Wayno and Yadier are so close. They're within striking distance. I hope that that's not in jeopardy. Is that something that crosses your mind, too? Are you concerned about him missing time and that that record being in jeopardy at all? Well, I would say that everything you thought, I thought. You know, <laughs> the first things first. You're worried about your friend and my teammate, and you're worried about you know his health and and his happiness. And and uh, playing hurt, playing hurt sucks. You know, just being honest. It, it uh, when you're when you're actually injured and out there trying to perform, it can be really really tough. And I've I've done that. Yadier was doing that, and so. Take the time to get your mind right, get your body right. I mean, that's important, you know, and, and so that's first things first. Um, but then, you know, at the end of the day, you're kind of like, but, you know, we hope he gets back relatively quick so that <laughs> we can get this thing kind of locked up. Um, but, you know, if it doesn't happen um, for whatever reason, uh, we, in my mind, we still have like the, 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 well, I don't know what word I'm looking for here. The contemporary record or what, the record for, I mean, those those other guys are playing in the 50s. You know, they're starting every four days. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're before that, those people are starting every three days. You know, and and uh, so I, no one's going to even come close to what we're doing anymore. Um, people that pitch together for a long time will come over to me and Yadi all the time and say. I don't even know how it's possible that y'all have got that many. You know, so it's pretty neat. But it would be really nice to have the record. That'd be. I mean, I asked. I asked Conroy the other day, or Chris Conroy, our trainer, one of our trainers. I said, "Hey, am I wrong to look at this battery record as really cool, or am I just kind of like you know super biased?" He goes, "No, nah, it's really cool. It's really neat. It's, you need to get that record." I'm like, "All right, cool. I'm glad we're." In- yeah, Adam, we, we think it's really cool, too. We want it for you guys badly. Well, uh, one more thing about Yachty. For him to not play, we know he must be dealing with a lot of pain because this guy is notoriously tough. He plays through injuries. He never wants to play. What's the toughest thing that you've seen Yachty or Molina do? Well, there's no tougher thing than answering the bell every day for an entire season as a catcher. I mean, catchers are got to be the toughest people in the world. I mean, some of them anyways, you know, I know there's other professions that would argue that, but being a catcher, you know, they're constantly getting hit every single place, getting hit in the face, getting hit in the, 
you know what, as a dude, you know, getting hit in the <laughs> shoulder, getting hit in the feet, and the knees, you know, bending down in a crouch for 45 seconds for me, I'm like, gosh, I'm ready to stand back up, you know. So doing that for an entire game for 162 games, Yachty was catching, you know, 140 games a year for a long, 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 long time. Um, he's He just had the most put out in the history of the game as a catcher. I mean, that's amazing. You know, it's really amazing. Um, I, I think I think watching him get hit in the gonads from with a hundred hundred and two mile an hour fastball, you know, and have to have surgery and miss time and come back and and then have the stones to do it again, get back in the same crouch and catch the same pitcher, Jordan Hicks throwing one hundred and two again. I mean, that's pretty tough to me, you know. I, I mean, as you know, just talking from a guy's perspective, it doesn't get much tougher than that. Adam, I don't know about you, but it hurt me just to hear that story. <laughs> I didn't even have to deal with it. I just, I just heard it. What people don't know, I I walked with him up to the to the to the uh, to the clubhouse because you know, he needed help. I, and trainer had him on one side, and I was on the other side, and and uh, I walked him up the stairs. And every step he took, it was like he was getting kicked by a mule, mm. you know, and. And it was just over and over again the whole way there. It was like, oh, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I hurt so bad for you right now. Like, oh, God. Oh, man, that, that had to be one of the most painful things in the history of the world. Adam Wainwright with us. It's Wednesdays with Wayno on 101 ESPN. More coming up. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's Wednesdays with Wayno, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Adam, earlier in the interview, you mentioned again, you piqued our interest because you talked about what an effect getting sent down during the 05 playoffs had on you, and you said it was a game changer. Why was getting sent down then such a game changer for you? Well, it was just a, it was the opportunity to, to, to self-reflect in a way that I had not done before, where I, you look at your, your career in an honest you know, in an honest way, you see the career path that's lined up before you. Do you want to stay on that career path or do you want to go a different route? And for me, getting sent down was an opportunity to go, all right, I have to change something. Something here needs to be different and I have to be the one to change it. And, uh, and that, that sometimes those moments of failure are the biggest teachers in life. You know, I, Lionel Richie's a, a big, I'm a big fan of Lionel Richie, but I'm a big fan of American Idol too. And, and he says something all the, all the time on American Idol that I think is a great teach for anybody out there. And he says, he says, when you win, you win. And when you lose, you learn. And uh, that was a great, a great learning for, moment for me where, um, you know, sometimes those moments of defeat, those can lead you to, to moments of, of winning later on down the road if you learn from them. Shout out to Lionel Richie yeah. for that sage of wisdom. I love that. Wayno, um, did you have to alter your preparation during that time? Did you have to do kind of what Matt Carpenter did and and break everything down and and maybe find the kinetics or the the mechanics of your throwing to feel better? What did you really have to adjust during that time? It was a mindset thing for me. Everything well, everything else was fine, but I just uh, we've talked about this and we tell this story last time or a couple times ago. Didn't I tell you all this story or no? No. Really? That's interesting to me. Okay. <laughs> so I would tell you a story then. I mean, how much time do we have? Do I have three, we, four minutes? Yeah, yeah, go yeah, ahead. We do. So uh, when I was in uh, AA, 
and for the Double A Braves, I was uh, it might have even been after high A, but I think Double A. I was picked to go. Yeah, I think it was 03 because it was an uh, Olympic qualifier. I was picked to go play for Team USA to try to qualify for the Olympics in 04. And uh, got to go out to the Arizona Fall League and play with with all the best minor league players in the game. I mean, it was it was just a, a team of just absolute studs, you know. And most of most of those guys on that team ended up being major league superstars. And um, you know, I, I got in there and they said, "You're gonna, you know." Dave Stewart was my pitching coach. Won four game, four seasons in a row of twenty games for the Oakland A's, and just just a just a, a mammoth of a man uh, on the mound and in real life too. Manager was uh, Frank Robinson, Hall of Fame, one of the greatest players of all time. And uh, they said, "All right, you're going to be our number two or number three starter, probably number two starter going into this. We're really excited to have you." I said, "Man, this is my dream come true. Playing for Team USA." Well, Representing our country, going to you know, this is I doesn't get any better that for than that for me. I mean, if I wouldn't have got uh, signed in 2020, I was going to put my name in the in the hat, you know, to go play for Team USA over in Tokyo. That would have been a, a dream come true for me. So this was a, a lifetime changing moment for me. I go get to play for Team USA, so I go out there to train in the Arizona Fall League against the other top prospects around minor league baseball, and and. Uh, I throw my first bullpen session. Dave Stewart says, man, this is great. You're looking great. You know, can't wait to watch you pitch. And, and I, I go out and pitch three times and get absolutely torched every time I pitch. Just gave it up every time. And a couple of days before the team was about to leave to go to Panama to, to, to try to qualify for the Olympics, Dave and Frank call me into the office and say, hey, man, we got to send you out. You know, it's just not working. You're not going to pitch for us. We just don't, you know, I don't see it. And I said, well, what's the problem? I thought you told me I was number two starter. And he said, yeah, you were until I watched you pitch, and you're just not ready yet. You know, we can't we can't put, you know, the entire fate of the Olympics on, on the line for a guy who's just not ready yet. And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, Adam. Dave Stewart looked me right in the face and said, Adam, you're never going to make it. Unless you learn to believe in yourself, you got a, a lot of great talent, but you don't you don't have any mental ability right now to believe in that talent. And so when you go out there and pitch, I can see that, and so can the hitters, and they're just feeding off you right now. So I was the only one sent home um, from that team. Didn't make it. Then uh, you know that that off season, I get traded um, from the from the Braves. My my longtime love, Atlanta Braves, to the Cardinals, which ended up being the best thing ever in my career. Um, but at the time I, I you know, I, I found out a couple months later that I was traded because, uh, they got into a room. Walt Jockety called, said, we want Adam. John Sherholt says no way. But then Bobby Cox and seven of the top advisors for the Atlanta Braves said, no, 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 you've got to trade this guy. He's never going to make it. Only one guy, Roy Clark. Um, no, not Roy Clark. There was another guy in there that, uh, I think it was a long time, Paul Snyder, a long time scout, uh, that was one of the guys that uh, was in charge of drafting me. He was the only guy that said, if you trade this guy, it's going to be a mistake. All the other seven people in the room said, this guy's never going to make it. You have to trade him now. Get get what you can for him because he's never going to make it. But then I get traded. I get sent home from the, the playoffs that year in 2005. I'm the only player sent home. Everybody else goes on the trip. I walk outside. I get into this little John boat. After Albert Pujols hit that dramatic home run against Brad Lidge, I walk outside, I get this little John boat, and I start thinking back, I'm like, gosh, they were crazy when they sent me out of the, the 
Fall League. They were crazy when they traded me. They were, they were crazy, you know, when they sent me down and and I didn't get to go to the playoffs. Everybody else was crazy, and then I thought, gosh, for the first time in my life, man, it's not everybody else. It's me. i got to change. It's just it's my fault. It's my problem. I'm the one that's, that's at fault here. It's, they're right. I've got to change. And so I just, on the spot, committed. Started, I mean, you know, I'm in, it's mid, it's, it's night outside, it's pitch dark. I'm out in this little boat in the middle of this lake. It's like a little four or five acre lake in this community that I was living in. And, uh, just out there crying, bawling. My neighbors were probably freaked out by it. And, uh, you know, I'm just calling and crying up to God. I'm just like, hey, from now on, I come I'm going to make every pitch like it's the last pitch of the World Series. I'm going to throw every pitch with such conviction, with such with such fortitude, with such belief that it's the last pitch of the World Series. That's how serious I'm going to take it. <coughs> that's that's the, the 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 work that goes into it. Every every throw in practice, every rep in the gym, every sprint I take, it's going to be with the conviction and the and the importance that it's the last pitch of the World Series. And so I went into spring training that year. I'm on the bullpen mound. Dave Duncan looked at me and said, you're different, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir. And uh, that was before I'd even thrown a pitch. And I threw my bullpen. He goes, stay right there. It looks good. <laughs> I, I threw uh, nine or ten games in spring training that year. I gave up like two hits, no runs. Made the team. Tony called me in and said, I don't know how you did it, but you're going north with us. Congratulations. You made the team. I said, thank you, sir. Um, he goes, just stay right there. I said, yes, sir. So uh, I pitched 62 games that regular season. Ended up becoming the closer at the end of the year. Closed out the World Series, or closed out the NLDS, the NLCS, and the World Series. I see Tony afterwards. He says he looks at me and he goes, "I don't know how you did that because you were terrible last year. Tell me how you did it. How is it possible?" And I said, "Well, you don't understand." I told him that story. I said, "You don't understand. I had already thrown. I had already pitched in the World Series all off season." I already pitched in the World Series all spring training long in those 10 appearances. I'd already pitched in the World Series all 62 <laughs> games of the regular season. I'd already closed out the World Series all those 72 times. And then when I did it nine more times in the postseason, I'd already closed out the World Series all those nine times. And so when I actually did close out the World Series, it was old hat. I'd already done it almost 80 times. And he said, I'll be damned. Stay right there, and so that's where I've been ever since. You know, and so that was uh, those learning moments. You know, it was those those moments of failure that that uh, were the teaching moments for me. That that actually ended up being the, the the biggest reasons for success later on. You had never told us that story, and it's an amazing story. And the, the one thing that I I need to know is obviously Tony and Dunk were in communication with Dave Stewart. They're all very tight. So have you since then crossed paths with Dave Stewart and talked to him about that that statement? Hey, you're not ready. And you got to believe in yourself. I have not seen Dave Stewart in person uh since walking out of that office with him. So, 
no, okay. I haven't. <laughs> I, I think that would be an interesting one for him to hear, too. Adam, you're... One day, one day I might write a book about it, Randy. Who knows? Please, that, please be, do, Adam. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. So many great things going on with the Foundation. We had a great time at the Trivia Night. We had a great time with Swing for Impact. And I know over the course of the weekend, there was a raffle for a home on St. Simon Island, Georgia. And you had somebody donate a beautiful home near your home in Georgia and a lucky winner too yeah right in my hometown of st simon's island georgia right on the coast of georgia a lot of people don't even know there's a beach in georgia but there we have a, a, a beautiful coast down there it's a wonderful vacation spot um but matt and anna mcdonald um donated their house it's a seats it, it it sleeps like 14 or 16 people it's just a wonderful home it's like a half mile from the beach it's just a great spot for a vacation rental um but they donated that to Big League Impact so we could raffle it off. And a guy named Brian Neal is the winner of the raffle. And uh, so he's going to enjoy a great thing down there. So thanks to, uh, to to Matt and Anna. Congrats to Brian on that great thing. Um, but it, it was a, it was a, it was a, a great fundraiser for us. They're going to have a great time down there, but it, it also raised a lot of money for Big League Impact for sure. And uh, players around Major League Baseball, and this is one of my favorite things about Big League Impact, is that players around Major League Baseball are involved with Big League Impact's all-win campaign, and people can contribute just by going to bigleagueimpact.org. You can, and, and what all-win all means is uh, every time the Cardinals win a game, several of our players and players around Major League Baseball have, have chipped in. I, I'm donating... I think $500 for every time we win um, to Big League Impact, and people can join in with me on that. Every time we win, everybody wins. You know, we're all going to try to chip in so that um, so that we can help more people through Big League Impact. So you can join our all-win campaigns. Um, Miles has an all-win campaign. Tommy has an all-win campaign. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt has an all-win campaign. Um, or I think it's Tommy Edmond and myself and Paul Goldschmidt have all-win campaigns. And Miles Michaelis has a a strikeout campaign where every strikeout he gets, he's donating money for the crisis aid women's shelter in St. Louis. And so you can join his campaign as well, but we got a lot of great things going on. You can check them all out at big league Adam, what you do is remarkable and amazing. And we can't thank you enough for that. We always thank you for your generosity with your time and go get him against the brewers at American family field. I, I'm having difficulty getting away from Miller park and getting to American family field. I haven't got that in my lexicon yet. Yeah, I don't know about all these stadium name changes, you know. I mean, I understand, obviously, money talks, but uh, that's supposed to be Miller Park, isn't it? I mean, that's just it's just supposed to be Miller Park. If they ever change Fenway to, like, you know, like Randy, Randy and Michelle – dot com stadium or something. I mean, as much as I love y'all, I'll be disappointed. Yeah, we aren't we aren't buying Fenway's right yeah, anyway. No way, not in Boston, Adam. And Bush needs to stay Bush. I mean, it's just got to stay Bush Stadium, right? Just has to forever. It's been Bush since 1953 through three stadiums. It, it cannot change. You're exactly right. Have a great one, Adam, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Appreciate you too. See you later. That is the great Adam Wainwright. That was recorded yesterday, and I think it's my favorite Adam Wainwright Wednesdays with Wayno ever. And you'll be able to hear it again. If you didn't hear the whole interview, you can hear it again on our podcast at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 app or wherever you get your podcasts. And those are all brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Matthew. That should be live in about four minutes. Okay, so yeah, it's coming up. Uh, a text from the 618. 
I'm not crying. You're crying. So I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And it is an inspiration. He's an inspirational guy, but that was quite an inspirational story that he told. Don't forget the 101 mobile app. Speaking of that, is loaded with a ton of awesome giveaways this month. We need to have you download and sign up so that we can win contests against the rest of the stations here at Hubbard Radio. If you already have the app, make sure to check out the rewards section. And if you don't have it yet, download it and get registered. You can win a grand in cash, $1,000 in cash. You can win a Traeger grill. You can win a rolling Yeti cooler, a signed Ryan O'Reilly blues jersey, and a whole lot more. We're bribing you because we are in a competition that we need to win. So if you don't have the app yet, just download it to your smartphone and sign up. And all those contests are going on right now on the 101 ESPN mobile app. Again, we thank Adam Wainwright for joining us. We thank Lori Kolupny. We thank Brian Jordan. Uh, great job today by our producer and engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. And Michelle had to head out early, but uh, she thanks you for tuning in. And I thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.